0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. So I just recently realized that we're coming up to the 100th episode of the podcast and I almost cannot believe it. I just wanted to say thank you to all my listeners, my fans, my guests for being a part of something that I wanted to build so I could share what top startups and leaders are doing, what's working, what's not, just being very transparent, something I wish I had access to when I was heading up marketing. So I thought I'd just try it and see how it goes and then it became a big part of how I spend my time and I truly love it. In this 100th episode, I'm getting interviewed by Cap Chatfield and we talk through modern approaches to digital content strategy for startups. See you inside.
1: Today, I have Anna Furmanov on our show. She's actually a repeat guest. Please don't be surprised if she becomes a recurring character on this show. She is the host and producer of Modern Startup Marketing, a podcast all about marketing for startups, for particularly for SaaS startups that are either uh, seed funded or early funded. But I, I think you've had some experience, Anna, with companies that are like Series D, maybe even further along. And all so, the way
0: to G, yeah. All
1: the way to G, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's amazing. So you have a lot of experience with this. One thing that I've noticed, Anna, is if you were to follow in on LinkedIn and we'll put the LinkedIn profile link for her own profile in the in the show notes. So be sure to follow her, connect with her. But one thing you'll notice when you follow her content is she's she's very consistent in this theme, which is a big theme in this season of BB Podcasting about the value of creating content, particularly consistently and and thinking about content and measuring the value of content in a really unique way. So Anna, as we kick this off, we have an article that you wrote. uh, I think you wrote it last year, April 2021 is what it says. Mm -hmm. And the article is titled Modern Digital Content Strategy for Startups Playbook. Like You wrote a whole playbook to help startups that have lean teams that trying to get a unique message or a complex vision out to the marketplace. So they have two things going against them right now. How do they create a content strategy that works? And then how do they actually measure whether or not it's, it's actually being successful? I don't want to suck wind for too long. I want to let you speak, but I'd love for you to kick it off by just sharing what's been the biggest problem that you've seen with modern startups in regards to measuring the value of their content strategy.
0: Content and measuring the value of content is difficult. And the reason that it's difficult is because it doesn't work the same way as, like, when you have, let's say, your sales team and they're measuring, like, you've got your inside sales team and they're cold calling and they need this many calls and then they move this many people to the next stage of the funnel and the next stage and then you're converting at this percent. Like, sales it makes sense, right? Like these are the numbers we're tracking and we need to be converting at this rate. And like, here is the bottleneck and we need to fix that. I also kind of think of paid ads kind of in the same boat a little bit where you've got certain ads where people click to convert and certain ads are performing and certain ads are not performing. Like that makes sense. The hard part with content is how do you think about it in terms of like, well, Is this actually converting people? Are people finding value in this content? How do I know? What do I look at? What do I track? It's not just like a one number and it's not like a couple of numbers or a few numbers. And it also takes time. So that's a little bit different from like sales. You can get on, you know, get on the phone and call someone and like call the right person that has the right need and then convert them to the next stage and demo. And It just works faster with content, organic content marketing. It takes a while. It takes months. Sometimes it takes years to get really good. And having a consistent... That's why I like to have a consistent approach with my own content marketing efforts. That's why you see me on LinkedIn. I have a podcast. I believe in it. And over time, I've seen the impact that it has on revenue. It's just a different way that you're measuring. And we can talk about like, what I think that is and how I do it.
1: We will. Because in your article, you specifically talk about segmenting down the funnel. You have different types of content, right? You have content that's more top of level engagement. You have content that's more nurture level. You have content that's more convert level. We'll talk through that in a little bit. But I do want to play devil's advocate a little bit because you might be rocking the boat a little bit for salespeople or sales leaders, everyone's fighting for a bigger budget in the organization, right? Sales wants a bigger budget. Marketing wants a bigger budget. When you say something like that, I can imagine people who are more sales-oriented saying, well, if it's going to take longer to get an ROI or to measure the value of content, why do content? Let's just focus more on sales. What would be your pushback to that?
0: My pushback to that is in the marketplace, at any given point in time, there's like 2 or 3% of people that are that have a pain and need what you're selling. And so you're going to talk to these people and they're going to want to buy what you're selling and it's going to be great. For everybody else out there, there may be some warm folks out there that want to buy what you're selling. A lot of them are cold. A lot of them are like not even thinking about you, not aware of you. And you need to get your digital... Digital needs to work for you. Digital marketing needs to work for you. So you don't need to hire all these salespeople to do that work for you. And it's also easier to sell when people have heard about you, when you're creating that awareness, when you're building that that trust, likability, all that stuff comes from content and showing up online in the right places. So... I think that there is a place for both. Like you should, I'm both marketing and sales for my own company, right? So I know the value of both. I just think that marketing has a specific place in the funnel and sales has a specific place in the funnel and sales gets way easier when you do the marketing. Right. And I think you're what you you, cap were trying to allude to, maybe you're getting to this point is something that's in the article, which is from Gardner. And it's from, I don't actually remember the year it's from where, where I found this probably from 2021, but their future of sales research there's a link in that article. We'll put the link
1: in the the show notes too for that. We got it.
0: Yeah. So it shows that by 2025, and we're already 2022. So we're not that far off. (laughs) And it's probably even higher percentages now. But 80% of B2B sales interactions with buyers will occur in digital. And this is because 33% of all buyers desire a seller-free sales experience. And then it actually climbs up to 44% for millennials. So people are getting... Buyers are getting used to just like, let me just do my own t- like research. Let me talk to people I know to figure out if I really want this product or this service. And if it's a complex product or service, they'll probably want to talk to a salesperson. But if it's not that complex, a lot of this buying happens without sales getting involved. So the, the more that you can kind of match to the way that buyers want to buy, the better the experience for them, the more likely they're going to like you and want to buy from you.
1: That's a staggering statistic. I'm looking at it right now. 80% in by 2025, so you're to your point, three years from now, 80% of the B2B sales interactions are going to happen digitally, which in my mind, really what that's saying is it's going to happen before anyone ever talks to a human being. So I think of like the the classic iceberg analogy, right? Like what we like to look at is the measurable thing above the water, the tip of the iceberg that's easy to track, such as like, you know, the sales measurements, right? Like, is this person going from from stage to stage? Are they closing or do they ghost us? But there's so much activity, 80% that happens underneath the surface that isn't that neat to track. You, you're you going to share some ways about how you can track some meaningful metrics, but a lot of it happens underneath the surface before that person even enters the sales pipeline. And so I, I'm just looking at that. I'm just thinking it would be foolish for anyone to look at that stat and see how quickly that's coming and not begin thinking about, okay, we need to, we need to, either create a, a content strategy or we need to double down on a content strategy. And you give you lay out like content marketing really requires these two things. You talk about content creation being the first and content distribution being the second. How about you unpack those for us?
0: So yeah, I always like to simplify things and that includes content marketing. And so Content creation is really like, what are you sharing? What are you saying? What's your point of view? And how do you package it up for people? Does your content look like GIFs or text or video or podcast episodes? Or like, what is that actual content? And how does it kind of connect with someone across their journey? Somebody had mentioned... I like this actually more than how I talk about funnels. Instead of saying the customer journey or the customer funnel say customer playground, because it really is kind of a playground. Yeah, like, there are people that want to go down the slide. And there are people that are on the swing set. And then there are people that are kind of standing far away from that playground. They're on the sidelines, just kind of hanging out and talking on the bench or something. So you just want to make sure that you're creating the content that is relevant and valuable inspiring exciting intriguing right for your target audience and then the second part is content distribution so what are the channels that you're going to focus on and startups really like I highly recommend focus I highly recommend focus for your target audience I highly recommend focus for your channels where you're going to show up with your content because the more that you prioritize your channels the more you get really good at one or two and you see the impact. It's much bigger than if you spread yourself across like peanut butter, across different a bunch of different channels. I'm sure that this is probably me like beating a dead horse because people hear this all the time, but I can't stress enough how we're still doing things the old way. We're still across like doing all the social media. We're like running around with our heads cut off like chickens with their heads cut off because we're we're trying to be everywhere and then we actually aren't pushing down on the gas in any one place. So I think about like
1: parties. I'm the type of person that goes to a party and I'm not really a social butterfly. I'm actually more of an introvert, quite honest. And I don't get a ton of value of just having like a 30 second conversation surface level with as many people. I like finding like three to five people at the party where I can go like a 10 minute conversation and it just goes somewhere pretty pretty marvelous. And that's really what you're looking for is you're, what you're talking about is where are the platforms where your audience already lives and you can build really meaningful relationship with them and conversation with them through the content so that you can, I mean, the, the deeper you go, it seems like the wider you go too. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. That playground analogy is super interesting. You just mentioned before the, on the pre-show call, like you have a five-year-old, boy, I got three kids under five. What's so funny about uh, the playground analogy, I took my kids to the park this weekend and there's like no rhyme or, it's not a linear journey. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go up this ladder and go down this slide and then go over here. It's like, it's chaos. It's like, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over and you can't, there's like no <laughs> pattern or rhyme or reason to it, but there's something about that freedom of exploration and allowing them to, to kind of chart their own journey and then when you leave the playground, the question that they ask is, when are we coming back?
0: The playground analogy is not mine. So I'll share the link to the person that created okay, that, uh, that material. But I just love it. I love it. And you're absolutely right. And my five-year-old will run to one thing and my eight-year-old will run to the other thing. And then they'll switch and then they'll come together. And there's no rhyme or reason. So, yeah, you're right.
1: You mentioned in the content distribution part of that, of the two-step, like the one-two punch of content marketing, you made an allusion to paid social. And basically you're saying like, if you really want ROI, you want to measure ROI, you want fast results, paid's the way to go, you pay to play, get the content out in front of people faster. But there's also value in the organic strategy too. And you have to recognize like, how much money do you actually have to play with to do the paid strategy? Generally, could you give us kind of like a framework of how you would consult these startups on how they, they especially if they got small teams, small budgets, how would you recommend they consider like how hard going on paid versus organic if they should do paid at all once they first start?
0: Oh man, this is like the million dollar question. In general, doing both is the best route, one versus the other is not really the best method. But the startups Mm -hmm. that I work with, they specifically come to me because I help them with organic content strategy. Maybe they're already running paid, maybe they're not, but they come to me, we talk about organic content strategy. And then once we develop that strategy and start executing and learning about what content resonates, we could also use that on the paid side in order to create that just dis- like faster dist- distribution. Yeah. So that's why I think both of them are important. I've also had startups on my podcast, Modern Startup Marketing, right? Talk about how they go the paid route first. Because then they're testing a bunch, especially when they're very early stage, they're testing a bunch of creative, they're testing a bunch of images and messaging, and the winner wins, right? Like, it's just kind of, let's just let ever all the ideas loose and see what wins with what target audience. And that's kind of how they test into who they're going to, you know who is their product really for? Who's their target audience? The one that's getting the most value with their product and also from the messaging. So both are important. And I think it's really a... The leadership has to decide. Like Mm -hmm. for me, I decided I'm going to do 100% organic content strategy for my business. That's enough for me. Based on your business goals, you might need to have both. You might want to do one because you want to move faster. So it really depends on the business and your goals.
1: I like that you're managing expectations, though. Even if you are smaller, you are going to begin doing paid. You know, the two different strategies. One is using paid as a way to test your messaging. And then another way is using paid to like reaffirm something you've tested or an organic or tested and paid and double down and amplify it. But I think it's important to recognize, especially when you're first starting out, I would just say this and you could you could push back if you don't agree because I'm totally I'm, I love challenges. But my take would be to have a healthy relationship with paid once you first get started and not look at it like we're not getting enough leads fast enough. Turn it off right away. Like really be thinking about we're willing to put aside X amount of money per month to just get the message out in front of the right people faster and leverage that and and use that information as like a feedback loop. And if we get leads out of it, great. Why not celebrate that? But I feel like some people turn off a paid media strategy too quickly because they're only looking at it as how much money can we make right away. And you're really missing out on a massive opportunity of understanding, are we even, could we be building relationship with our audience and it just needed a little bit more time? What would you say to that?
0: Yeah, I think there that timing plays into it for sure, especially on the organic content strategy, strategy side. Like I said, it takes months, sometimes years for something really meaningful to play out. And that's why you got to be systematic, have a systematic approach. But I imagine on the paid side as well, right? You want to keep running something just enough to figure out like, is this worth what I'm putting in? Is this like, is the customer acquisition cost worth what the revenue I'm getting from these customers? It really does have to, the equation has to make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, I'm getting a bunch of discovery calls from startups that were going big on the paid ads front. And we're not focused on organic content. Now it's kind of biting them. It's biting them because they're like, I have to keep feeding the animal, the beast. (laughs) I have to keep feeding the beast. And then the numbers, for example, just don't match to where it makes sense to keep feeding the beast anymore. So what else do you have then to create awareness? Like if they started building early on their organic content then that would always be kind of like developing and getting better and creating pipeline. Even though it was taking longer, it would still have been running in the background and they wouldn't have to worry about on the paid ads, just having the paid ads fill that funnel. So that's why I say both are important. And it's really interesting to hear now, like, yeah, the paid side doesn't make sense. Maybe the competition is up. Maybe it's harder to track right? There's all sorts of reasons why that's happening right now. But if you don't have a organic content strategy on and also building pipeline, then it's to this startup's detriment.
1: Oh, gosh, I think of like, like investing, right? Like there's, you could do the more uh, short term investing, day trading, things like that. But if you're not also like putting some money away in a Roth IRA or something that's more long term focused, like you're, creating a vulnerability for yourself. So I think that's super helpful. Let's get practical, okay? Because you in this playbook, it, it's called a playbook for a reason. You do make it very practical. You even break down like, what are the core pillars of the marketing engine? What should those be? Can you break down those, those core pillars for, for us real quick?
0: Yeah, the reason I bring in like the core pillars here is because I really like one thing that Shiv Narayanan, I'm hopefully not butchering his name, but he's the founder of How to SaaS, And I really like how he says, like, if you have a limited marketing budget, which startups typically do, right, you need to f- create focus and start with people who are ready to buy today in order to get those quick wins. So don't start creating like one of the biggest mistakes he says that companies make, and I see that as well, is they come to me and they say like, well, we, I ask them, what kind of marketing are you working on right now? Like, what are some campaigns you've been running? Well, we're writing blog posts and we're doing Google ads. That's like the two biggest things. Google ads, well, how's that working out for you? Not so great, or it's just always on, we're not really tracking it. And then the blog posts, we just keep on putting the blog posts up and hoping people visit the website. So what well, that's a big mistake, right? Because by the time people come to your website, like you've kind ca- it's not a quick win. It's not the people that are ready to buy. Like y- you need to have those core pillars in place for the people that are closest to buy your product or service. So before you start creating those blog posts or posting on social media. So that's really important. There's like a uh, step one, step two, step three part of this. And the core pillars of creating this engine is like, create a marketing foundation first. You're not Mm. for everyone. Who is your ideal customer? Who's your target audience? Who are you really for? Who are those super fans that are getting like, the biggest value from you? What do they care about in their day to day? What are their emotions like? What are they enraged about? What are they annoyed by, right? Like really understand who they are and understand the problem you're solving for them, the value that your product is providing for them and how you're different right? Understand how you're different. That's... I just got off a call today with um, with a prospect that's like, well, we have a problem, Anna. There are 27 competitors in our space. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's going to be the same thing. Like from now until forever, there's going to be more and more and more competition. That's just not yeah. going to go away, right? That's why you're creating this startup because there's a need. And a lot of people have realized that there's need or founders have realized that, right? So you need to figure out how you're different, that needs to come from the marketing foundation, from talking to customers. And then the people that are closest to buy, they're going to want social proof. They're going to want a reason to like and trust you. So creating case studies, video testimonials, written testimonials, put that on your website, have pricing if possible available. I'm a big proponent of that. I think you know, you're... know Since a lot of people buy digitally, a lot of buyers want to buy digitally, they check this out themselves. Like, why would you hide pricing from them? Have that available if possible and have your website like a salesperson. Your website should be like a salesperson. Those are the key pillars, right? And if they're not in place, then there's no reason for you to start writing blog posts and posting on social media. It's just not... It's not the right step-by-step formula.
1: I Well, what's the pushback to that? I mean, the, the, I couldn't agree more with any of that stuff. However, you're a content creator. I'm a content creator. The more you do, the more you create your own efficiencies, your own processes that help you scale that output so that you can, you can build an organic foundation that you can build upon, right? So what about people that have a lean team? How would you consult or coach those people who are like, you know what, I love the idea, Anna, but this doesn't sound practical. We don't have the team for this.
0: When you say this doesn't sound practical, do you mean putting together like the case studies and the testimonials and the website and all that stuff for like people who are ready to buy? Or do you mean when you're already, you've worked backwards to those people that are not ready to buy, but you just need to educate them and create awareness? I think the
1: people who are are the more the education piece, because I think if honestly, those other core pillars, like you have those in place. If you don't have those in place, you don't have, like how are you going to even do business right like That's you right. even have a digital storefront but on top of that you know to create that demand how 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 do you drive traffic how do you drive demand to that place with like you'd mentioned a podcast before and creating even having this article about creating videos and things like that. How is that possible? Because I mean, like the thing about Google ads is like the set and forget it nature, or you have a one copywriter who does a blog post and to really build that relationship with this content at scale idea, it takes some resources. So what's how would you help a team that's, that's like, hey, we don't have a lot of expertise and we don't have, we don't have the resources to accomplish something like that.
0: Yeah. So what I've realized because this is what I help startups with and I also have done this in the past where I worked at startups and now I do this for my own business is you don't need a lot of people to create really good content. You actually like we have all of these cool tools at our disposal. It is an amazing time to be a content marketer because everything is available and some of the stuff is free and some of the t- stuff takes minutes. It blows my mind how how it's so accessible now. But personally, my recommendation is you want to start from a place of like, and maybe this is also beating a dead horse, but pill- I believe in pillar content. So whatever that is for you, that might be a podcast, right? That might be interviewing your subject matter experts you don't even have to put it out anywhere you just interview them you sit down you take notes and record it right just internally but it, the content the awesome high quality content has to come from somewhere from subject matter experts. And typically like the within startups, the subject matter expert is not necessarily the marketing person. So you need to actually think about like, who is that going to be? Is that part of the exec team? Somebody from the exec team? Is it part of the, like, is it external Thought leaders that you're partnering with—is it your salespeople that really know a lot about the specific topics that resonates with your target audience, and they'll be talking about things like trends in the industry, how to, you know, their opinions, their advice, they're answering specific questions that they get all the time from prospects. This stuff makes really great content, and so you would. Sit down, have that conversation, record it, put it on your podcast, make, create an article, whatever it is, but have that pillar. Yeah. And do it consistently. So every week, I'm sure you do this too, Kat, but every week I record at least 10 minutes for for my podcast. Usually it's like 30 to 45 minutes, at least one time every single week. So I am backlogged. I have a lot of content for my show. I'm never thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm running around trying to get... No, I'm always ahead. Because I've recorded a you know a lot of great high quality content with great guests, and from there you're going to want to think about like how do I chop up this amazing content, and that's where you need someone that's um, that's why I like to think of like content managers or content specialists that you bring onto the team as people that are they know how to write good stuff. They know how to communicate well. They might be journalists. They might be writers. They might be, right? So they also know how to take that expertise and chop it up and distribute. So the distribution part, not all journalists know how to distribute, right? So it's kind of like, You want someone that's a good writer, but you also want someone that understands how to distribute across um, social media, across maybe like writing for your blog posts, or maybe creating some other type of content, like an ebook or something like that. You can see that some of this is kind of heavy on the ops side, but it becomes a system where it doesn't actually take a lot. Like for me personally, the recording of the podcast episode, that's just talking to someone like I'm doing with you right now. That's once that's recorded. That goes up on the, you know, on the show for the show as audio and then working with like a production, a video clip production company to chop up the clips. And what I do is I take notes. So as we do, I don't know if you do this, Kat, but what I do is I take notes as I'm talking to someone, whether it's for the podcast or you're interviewing, you take notes and hot. Oh okay so there there you go yeah so i highlight the things that i find super helpful super interesting that i know my target audience because i know them so well cuz i've done the research i know they're going to find it valuable and that's where the rest of the snippets come from the mm. you know dozens of social media snippets the text the image the video it all comes from there those highlights and and that's it like i'm just a, a one person at my company and i because i know my target audience and have the pillar and have a system, I'm able to handle it.
1: Are you doing that all on your own as a one-person band?
0: I'm a one-person band, yeah. Well, so, yeah, and I even like to create my titles for the podcast episodes, and I like to create my titles for the video clips because I've had experience with it. Like, I know what will be enticing, and I think that, like, whoever takes over that part, like, that's the part that matters, those little things matter. Like what's the title that you're going to, you're going to show on your video clip that will entice people to want to check out your podcast episode that matters. So I like to, yeah, I like to do that, but over time it doesn't take as long with experience.
1: You know, it's wild. And I think this would be a great transition into like the measurement component of measuring the value of all this stuff, because you're not just moving intuitively On, like, well, this headline I think might, it feels better than this headline, or the way that I edit this clip versus this way of editing it. You're paying attention to something. Like, you have indicators, real indicators that are helping you understand how to create better content, but those metrics aren't necessarily revenue related metrics, yet they matter. And I would love for you to break down, like, and really kind of break down the argument about. Well, if it's not attributable to to revenue, then why are we tracking it? Can you explain to us like you have you specifically have like a three tiered framework of engagement, nurturing and conversion of these different metrics that you're looking at? How do you how do you use that to measure the value of your content?
0: Yeah, great question. I'm I'm happy that we're talking about this because this is like on a lot of people's mind. How do we measure if our content strategy is working? So those three buckets, engage, nurture and convert, that's actually part of like a one-page marketing plan that I help startups with. Like, what are the marketing activities you're running to engage people top of funnel? How are you nurturing that relationship? And how are you converting them and turning them into like customers that love you? And then how are you like making use of this relationship relationship that you have now with customers, making that a great experience and then starting that flywheel and that process over again. So that three part is part of the one page marketing plan. What I, How I like to think about measurement is for each of those stages, having objectives. So let's say you've got your marketing campaigns for top of funnel and like you have, for example, I have like a podcast, right? And I also create social media video clips. I put clips, video clips out on LinkedIn. My objectives, what are my objectives there? Like for LinkedIn, I want to have more followers and engagement with my posts, right? Because then I know that people are liking the content, they're liking my expertise, they're following me, they're um, engaging with it. Like it's th- Those are some signals at that part of the plan. The next part is the nurture part, which is actually not so different in my mind, like it's not so different from the engagement top of funnel, like middle of funnel. Can also be a way that you like nurture people through your content still with a podcast, still with social media video clips. It doesn't actually have to be so different because people are going to find things that they're intrigued by and interested in, no matter if they're just like figuring out this whole space or if they're kind of already warmer and want to get to know you more and like stay in touch. So you could still use the same type of content across engagement and nurturing. The Mm -hmm. nurturing, I also like to think about like okay, you probably might have some CRM and like you have customer leads information, their emails. So maybe you're sending a newsletter, or maybe you're sharing something with them on LinkedIn, one-to-one, or maybe you're holding some weekly virtual events. So those are all different things you could do at that stage. And then at the convert stage, like we talked about case studies, testimonial videos, things that are meaningful to help build the trust. So you convert into customers. So at each of those stages, you can measure if your content is working. If you set specific objectives. Like are we at the top of funnel increasing month over month website visitors coming to our site? What are they reading? What pages are they checking out? Right there, A lot of folks actually check out my pricing page because they already learned about me on LinkedIn. I see a lot of them kind of funnel into the website and they're like, I think my second most visited page is either about or pricing. Maybe pricing is my third. So it's really interesting because That's what your content should do. It should get people to like, now they find out about you. They learn a lot about you without you having to come in and tell them anything because they're watching you. They're tracking what what content you're putting out there. They're learning so much. They're already so educated That by the time they come to your website, they're like, how much are you? And yes, I want to jump on a call with you. So that's exactly what I'm seeing happening. And that's at the top of funnel. And then there's also objectives you could set in the middle of the funnel. Like we're increasing our book demos, right? And then at the bottom of the funnel for customers, converting it to customers and retention rate and all that stuff. But my point is, it really should be around like have objectives for each stage and have like content that are geared towards those those objectives and then make sure that you're meeting those objectives. Because if you're not, then there's something wrong.
1: I'm just reading the person's mind who has just used this phrase in their head or they've said it out loud plenty of times, the term vanity metrics. I want to go back to like that, the category, the engagement category of the value of your content. But Anna, aren't those vanity metrics? Isn't it vanity metrics to look at engagements and comments and things like that You could probably guess where I would go with this, but I want to hear from you. Like, What's your take on that term vanity metrics?
0: It's not vanity metrics if you're being thoughtful about how you're using them. So you're not just saying, look, I have 10,000 followers. That's a vanity metric. But if those followers, like 70% of them are in your ideal customer profile, they're like a good fit within your target audience who you're selling to. That's not a vanity metric. That means that whatever you're talking about is resonating with those people. So it's just a matter of like being thoughtful. If you're getting likes on your posts on LinkedIn, who's liking it? Is that the right title of the person that you're actually right selling to? Yeah. So drilling down into specifics like that, like social engagement, likes, comments, shares and looking at your podcast and like, are the plays increasing month over month? Like those are some drill down metrics you should be tracking. Website traffic, right? Which pages are getting traffic? Maybe you've got some pages dedicated to your podcast. Which are What are those pages? Like looking at those, studying those and having a viewpoint on like, well, if this is happening, then my content strategy is working. Those are like the signals that you're getting. Who's commenting on your post? Who's saying like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so much value. That's not vanity stuff. That's like qualitative signals, short term, right? Because content strategy takes a while to get through the pipeline over to customer. So you have to track those types of signals and metrics
1: I really appreciate that and the reason why I was saying you could probably guess where I'd be going with this is because as you know as a content creator you and I can probably relate to this those metrics I look at the metrics of my content daily not because I want to feel good about myself but I know that if my content is resonating with my audience then I have their attention. I'm building trust with them. And there's work being done in that 80% rule that we looked at, right? If 80% of the buyer's journey is now happening in the digital landscape, there's healthy activity happening there by, based off of those metrics. But what you're saying, it sounds like, is if I can summarize it, that it becomes vanity metrics when you try to make it mean something that it doesn't really mean, or if it's not meaningfully aligned to what your business goals are.
0: That's right. That's right. It's not like I have these followers or I have these plays and it's just kind of like, well, good for you. So what? What's the so what? There's got to be a so what from your content. It has to, it has to tie to revenue. Otherwise, you're going out of business. And that's why I say it all starts at the very front, like the marketing foundation. You have to figure all this stuff out. You have to know who is your target audience. And what is the value of the content going to be for them versus how do I drive leads with a podcast? That's the wrong thing to ask. Mm. <laughs> the right thing to ask is how do we create really awesome content on my podcast so people will listen, and then they'll you know they'll follow me, they'll um, reach out to me when they're ready to reach yeah. out.
1: You have one like quote in bold from this article. Again, we'll put the link to this article in the show notes. The bold quote from you is: "Stop asking what's the ROI from brand awareness channels." right? It's like you're understanding what are these metrics meant to tell us. They're all meaningful in the right place. If you start asking the wrong questions towards these different categories of your content, then you might kill a good strategy too early before it's actually done its work for you. So, and this playbook, it really is, it's super strong. Thank you so much for taking the time to put this together, for walking through it with our audience. Uh, it's been a joy having you on the show today.
0: Oh my gosh, it's been so much fun. And I could talk about this all day. Seriously. Like one other thing I didn't mention was it can be as simple. Like if you want to measure your content efforts, it can also be as simple as asking. Ask your customers, how did you find me? Ask the people that jump on that demo call. How did you find me? And then for prospects that are not ready to talk to you, you can just, ch- you know, check out if people are consuming your content. And those are those quote unquote vanity metrics that are not vanity metrics because they also matter for like what people are engaging with top of funnel. So I just wanted to mention that. Like it's very you can always ask. Just ask, how did you find me? And then the other couple things I wanted to mention. Sorry, Cap, I'm kind of going off on a tangent Bring it. here. Yeah, Sue
1: Lightning Round. I like it.
0: Yes. Sometimes you'll get referrals from non-customers, from non-leads, you'll get referrals from those people that are not necessary. They know about you. They've seen you. They already like you, like they like what you're saying. They like your expertise because they're also following your content. And then they're, for whatever reason, connected to your ideal customer and they're going to refer them over. So that happens quite a bit. I don't know if that happens for you, but that happens quite a bit, too. So don't underestimate that part of your content strategy. And the final part I'm going to say is sometimes your content will serve as the social proof that people need to see once they're talking to you. So maybe when you ask them, how'd you find me? They're not gonna say, well, because I listened to your podcast or because I saw you on LinkedIn. But once you have them in that demo call or the discovery call and they're talking to you, they didn't see your stuff before, but now they see your stuff and they're like oh my gosh anna you know a lot about digital content strategy you wrote that playbook it really helps me mm. understand how to put the pieces together so you're building that trust and they're saying like yes you get me so don't underestimate how valuable content is for the top of funnel yep. in the middle for the after like it's it's it should be all the time relevant at every stage
1: and just like the you said that your website is supposed to be a salesperson for you, your content is supposed to be a salesperson for you as well.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Get those digital salespeople out there
1: yeah. to start
0: working <laughs> for you. Seriously.
1: I love it. Anna, this was so much fun for everybody listening. We're going to put Anna's LinkedIn profile, the link to this article. We referenced a couple other articles. We'll put them in here as well. And then the link to your show, Modern Startup Marketing. Anna, you're the jam. Thank you so much for joining us on BB Podcasting.
0: Cap, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firmanov, or go to my website, firmanovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening.